Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda to Dorkin Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel, and a choice of petrol, diesel, or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to the show, and I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch somebody I've missed. She hasn't been here in quite some time. Kiva O'Callaghan, it's great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for dropping into us on the show. And we're going to talk insurance with Kiva for the next while. And the reason she's here, I suppose, is a bit of a personal reason as well. We got a quote, Kiva, and you know about it. Uh, and it's from Aviva Insurance for a, a car, my wife's car, the renewal on my wife's car. And it's up 35% this year, Kiva. It was 425 last year, 575 this year. And I nearly fell through the floor because I look after these things. Uh, I'm the commercial director at home. Um, is that out of step with what you're seeing and hearing? Yes, very much so. Um, we had a chat in the office before I came up here and what we're seeing is um, for car and for van um, insurance premiums, they're they're either line ball with what they were last year or, or in, in a lot of instances they're, they're actually lower than they were last year. So we were trying to figure out what happened to your wife's um, insurance premium and, and really the risk must have changed. And, and what we're thinking is maybe she has penalty points and maybe she doesn't even know that she has penalty points because Aviva is one of the insurance companies who um, can access the National Driving Licence Database. Um, they have your, your wife's driving licence number. Um, so if she has penalty points, and maybe she doesn't even know she has penalty points, Aviva will know about it and they will put a load onto her insurance um policy really straight away even for one 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 infringement even for one infringement yes no i have to say to you if she has penalty points i'll be astounded number one and we haven't got any notification of points either you know what i mean i can yeah. assure you of that i'd be amazed if that's the case she did change her car but it's only from a one litre car to another one litre car as well i can't see that there you did say to me are you named on the policy and i did that last year because it did bring it down yes when i went on as a named driver which is interesting yes that, that is a fact is it a named driver can bring the premium down there's an insured and spouse discount and that that by by you being named on her policy, that's going to drive that discount. Um, an- another unusual discount that people don't know about is, um, if you're if you're a single man and you um add on your daughter or indeed even your granddaughter, that can also drive a discount. And and we often check that out for our, for our customers. But but really, Jerry, I think what this um illustrates is is the benefit of going to an insurance broker, um because we. Um, check the market um, before we issue our customers with the renewal notice. Um, So by the time our customers receive the renewal notice, which is about four weeks in advance of the renewal, they'll have the renewal from their existing insurer, whoever that is. And if there's anybody um, cheaper out there, we will be notifying um, our customers of that at that time. So they're sa- they're being saved the time and the hassle of having to, to go around and do the market themselves. What would you say to me there? Go back to Aviva anyway and have a chat with them and see what the story is. I want to find out, number one, why this is. I think you should ring one of my professionals. <laughs> That's what I think you I, should well, do. I am going to do that for sure. But I'm curious to ask these people why this jump. And if there are no points, if there is no reason, well, there's something up here I have to say. To you. And the other thing, 
thing is, Giva, we have other policies with Aviva, and that that brings discounts as well. Yes, yes, having having um, policies, having multiple policies with one insurance company can indeed drive discounts, and very often does. And Aviva is one of the companies that that do allow those discounts. Um, But, you know, you don't have to be with Aviva directly to avail of those discounts. Mm. You can be with us. You can be with any insurance broker in the country. I'm personally with you and and you helped me out on many occasions. and I've been with you for years (laughs) and years on my own insurance. And I do appreciate and understand what you do as well. That each year I trust you that you send me out and this is the best. You know, I often talk to your people as well to see if they can do a little bit better. But uh, that is a fact. I understand what you're saying. So, look, we're going to go, I'm going to go back to Aviva number one there. Thank you for uh, analysing that for me and then I'll be talking to you, I'm sure. Now, let's talk about something else that's really current in insurance at the moment. It's just come in on the 1st of July. Price walking ban. What is this? OK, the price walking ban is a new regulation um, brought in by the Central Bank of Ireland and it came into force on the 1st of July. So, I mean, it's, it's a week old. Um, and it's particularly going to affect um, customers who have their insurance policies directly with an insurance company. Um, and, and it really is going to affect um, people who have car insurance policies, van insurance policies and home insurance policies. Um, so for years, insurance companies have been using algorithms and big data um, to figure out what portion of their client database um, are vulnerable customers and they are the ones who are less likely to shop around at renewal. Um, And these customers have then been charged a higher price by the insurance company um, at renewal. And and in fact, um, this this rating increase can, can go up further at subsequent renewals. Um, so that's now banned. You're not allowed to do that. So in other words, for being loyal and not moving and staying put... It's a loyalty penalty. You're penalised. Yes. yes. But they can't do this now. This has changed. Yeah, it's over. And that's good news that for consumers, isn't it? That is good news for it? consumers. It's yes. great news for consumers. For sure it is. Because that doesn't add up to me when you... Uh, commit loyalty to something you should be rewarded for it so that is over now and and does I'm thinking of somebody who's been loyal and who isn't inclined to shop around on that does that mean their policies will stay the same or drop yes they won't be any more expensive than last year in fact they, they should be cheaper because they're 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 now no longer allowed to charge that additional yes. rate that penalty and you know, like when you when you think about this, you know, people who don't shop around, and it's been we're here today saying to people, you know, you must look around. That's your job, yes. with your business as well. Is there still a large percentage of customers for insurance that don't never look around? Yes, yeah, and in particular, um, we find older people are a bit nervous about shopping around and it, it's nothing to do with their capabilities. They're fully capable of doing it, but they are afraid. If they if they move from an insurer that they've been with for, say, 10, 15, 20 years and they, they move to somebody just because it's cheaper, um, that they may not get um, a renewal invite, you know, when they when they turn 75 or when they turn 80. And, you know, it, th- their fears are unfounded. And um, we will we will always um, be able to get an insurance policy, a competitively priced insurance policy for elderly drivers, um, even if they have been off the road um, for some reason. That's really reassuring to hear that. Now, what about in a general sense? We've been talking for years. I remember talking to you about it, about the claims and the awards being made on claims, etc., etc. Has the landscape changed there? Well, it has, um, Jerry. Um, in July of last year, there were new um, compensation guidelines came into effect on the 20, 24th of April 2021. And we're now beginning to, to see, you know, how, 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 are, how are claims, how is the lie of the land um, in relation to claims. Um, so the average award um, from the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, which is also known as PIAB, um, has dropped by 42%. Um, since the since the guidelines mm. um, came into force last April last April, twenty twenty one, and and really the the entire idea behind introducing these guidelines was to prevent claimants 
from um, getting a higher award if they go to court than um, an award they'll be offered um, by PIAB. Um, but the thing is, you know, you actually have to read the whole the whole report um, as, to, as to how it's doing because more people now are rejecting the award offered by PIAB um, and that's disappointing because if they reject PIAP, um, that means they're going to engage lawyers, they're going to engage barristers, and they're going to take the thing to court. And that is ultimately going to cost the insurance company an awful lot more to settle the claim, um, because they've got the, the legal fees um, to pay. Um, and, you know, this 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 spike in, in rejections is, is coming about because claimants believe um, they believe wrongly, in fact, um, that they're going to get a better offer by going to court. Um, and, and they're not going to get a better offer by going to court. Um, the, the central bank statistics um, have published that, that even before these guidelines, um, most claimants didn't receive um, a higher award and they just lost time and they, they got plenty of hassle. And you're obviously um, helping the uh, bank accounts of legal people and <clears throat> others involved in cases by going the court route. Oh, absolutely! There's and money would, there. They they have a vested interest yes. in in keeping this whole thing going because they, that's where they earn their their living. So, on one hand, you see a positive change, and on the other, you question. I question, but I'm hoping it'll come right. Please God, it will. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Porrick's been on to say, Jerry, go online and get a new quote from Aviva. You'll be classed as a new customer and it'll be lower. But you see, the price walking has stopped all of that. OK, there you go. It should have stopped all of that. Yeah, OK. So you you feel that's that's not an option. And another question there from a listener for you. Hi, Jerry. will you ask Kiva, if you retire, uh, will your car insurance go up and down? Now, they say if you retire and take your occupation of your car insurance, will it go up and down? I don't understand what they're saying there. Take your occupation. Let's just talk about retiring. Uh, should your insurance go up or down? Well, it depends what your occupation was before you retired. Okay. If you were a teacher or a banker or an accountant, yes, or somebody maybe that's what they get. Drove now. in and out of the office. Um, your your premium really should not be affected. Um, but if you were, say, working in the entertainment industry, say you worked in a hotel, you were a bar person, um, you know, you were you were out and about late at night, and you retired from that then your premium should go down because your occupation is a rating factor. That means your occupation is something that will determine what your premium is. Jerry, will you just mention this to Kiva? Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I was in a, a minor tip with another car and we both agreed everything was OK and we went away. Almost 12 months to the day, I got a call from my insurance company to say that a claim had been lodged. Is it important to report every incident that happens, no matter how trivial? I think it is. And we always recommend to our customers that they recommend or that they inform their insurance company. Um, just for record purposes, it, it protects you. Very important. Thanks. That's a very good question. Thank you indeed for asking that today. Let's move on to uh, home insurance. And, and you deal a lot with home insurance yourself. Um at, at the moment, you had a scenario, the Celtic Tiger, then the collapse, the values went down of everything. What's your recommendation to people now as regards the buildings themselves? And then we'll come on to contents in a minute. But the, the structure itself, should you always look at getting a, a current value on that? Especially now in this time of um, of, of building cost inflation. Um, and what, what we suggest to our customers is um, at renewal time, they go on to the... Um, the Society of Chartered Surveyors in Ireland, SCSI.ie. And in that, there's a very handy um, little rebuilding calculator. And it, it goes by your region. I think it might even be down now to county uh, and the type of house you have. And you put in either the square feet or the square metres. And that'll start, you can start to build from there. Um and, and we think it's a very good idea. And when we are having a renewal conversation or indeed a new business conversation with any of our clients, we, we talk them through that. SCIS.ie is the website uh, to check out there for, for the valuation. SCSI. Sorry, SCSI. SCSI.ie. Contents. 
What about Connie? You know, people, you know, do this figure up in their heads. Is that the way to do it? It is the way we do it and it's the way I do it. Um, Really, a content is everything that if you could turn your house upside down, it would fall out. Um, So things like fitted wardrobes, kitchens, bathrooms, all that stuff should be part of your buildings. Your contents is all your furniture. Um, and, And really, you know, you might think, God, I've had that old couch now for 10 years and that telly is, you know, six or seven years old. It's worth nothing. It's worth nothing until it's damaged in a fire and you need to go and buy a new one. So that's sort of the figure you should be thinking, you know, OK, I need to buy a new three piece suite. I need to buy new tellies. I need to buy new new carpets. You know, th- think of it that way. What about valuables? And I'm thinking about precious jewellery and that that people have. And if you have a break in or something and, you know, it's gone. Yeah. Photograph it, value it. What are you saying for insurance purposes? I I think definitely having photographs is very, very useful. Um, In in relation to jewellery, you know, and I often think of people and their engagement rings, you know, and they're they're valuable. Um, If you wear it all the time and you never, ever, ever take it off, even when you're washing your hands or going to bed, you know, the chances of you losing it are very slim. Does it need to be insured? Um, but if you've got stuff that you take on and off and maybe can le- be left lying around the house, it's a good thing to have it insured for what's called all risks. Alarms on houses and monitored alarms. What part do they play in insurance? OK, they're they're useful in that they can drive a discount. However, um, you need to be careful and either ask the insurance company or the broker um, or read the fine print um, because some insurers, if if you if they give you a discount um, for having a monitored alarm and you accept that discount and you nip out to the shop for a pint of milk and you don't put your alarm on and you meet a friend and you go out for coffee and you come back and your house is robbed, they may not pay the claim. Oh, that's a very important piece of advice. Yeah. Very, very important. It's just to indeed. check the small print. Great. O'Callaghan Insurance, how do they get in touch with you? 042-935-9000. Thank you so much for dropping in today. You've been most helpful as usual. Great to see Very you, Kiva. Thanks a million. Now my next guest returns to the show and I'm looking forward to catching up with him. He's the man behind Irish Whiskey Auctions. And Irish Whiskey, well, it's up, up and away, isn't it? All the way. I'm delighted to say hello again to Anthony Sheehy. Hello, Anthony. Jerry, how are you? How's things? Delighted to be back. Great to have you back with us on the show. It is up, up and away, isn't it, for our whiskey? Huge, absolutely. I mean, um, the, the growth trajectory that we've been on the last few years has no sign of slowing down. And I mean, people are estimating we're going to overtake uh, Scotch worldwide, uh, well, in America, by 2030. So we're going to be outselling our Scottish brethren. And where, Anthony, is the demand? I know the United States is a huge potential market. Anywhere else in the world where they're looking for Irish whiskey? Everywhere. I mean, it literally is everywhere. And I mean, I know a lot of the brands are working hard to get into a lot of these emerging markets. I mean, Nigeria, strangely enough, is a huge market for us. I know they're a huge market for Guinness, but they're also a huge market for Irish whiskey. Um, South Africa, a lot of the Asian countries, uh, Korea. I mean, a lot of the guys are going over and doing trade shows now in these countries now because the demand is there. So they're sending container loads of Irish whiskey to all these uh, countries all over the world now. So obviously with demand and uh, markets building and emerging, people here and businesses here see the potential in this. I, I just noticed in the last year especially, and probably two years even during the pandemic, there's a lot of new Irish whiskies, Anthony, coming onto the market. But yet, I know, as you know, it takes years and years to develop a whiskey. You know, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, how, how is this happening? So it, it, it's a, it's a multifold thing. I mean, the the distilleries themselves are growing exponentially. We've gone from what we had three distilleries in 2010 to we now have 42 operational distilleries and more coming. Um, So they have been in various stages from about 2012. Some of them were were built and started distilling in 2012. So once the three-year period had passed uh, for maturation, they were then able to sell their whiskies. But a a lot of the other brands were doing things like sourcing aged whiskies. So our Mm. own Cooley distillery here in County Louth would have had 
age stock that they were distilling all the years since 1989 when they began, or Bushmills, or a lot of these other brands. And they would have excess or, or, or lots of stock. So they'd be selling it to people and on the secondary market. So you'd have people who'd be sort of buying the stock, putting their, their, their these barrels of whiskey, uh, bottling it and putting their own name in it. Or maybe some what a lot of guys are doing now is finishing it in some way. So it's spent the last 10 years in a in a bourbon barrel from America. Yes. Uh, the barrel's from America. Obviously, the whiskey is Irish. And then they might finish it for six months or nine months in, say, uh, a, some sort of fortified wine, like a port or a, a Madeira or something like that, just to give it that extra lift and, and flavor. And then they can sell it. Obviously, they can't say that they distilled it, but most people would know that it was sourced somewhere within the island of Ireland. So um, one of the three uh, established distilleries at that stage. And do some of the new distilleries do that with a view to ultimately producing all their own whiskey and putting their own stamp on it completely and distilling it themselves? Or are there others who will just always operate in that fashion you mentioned there now? Both. Both actually right. are, are the thing. And I mean, again, how they're playing it is different between the brands themselves. So some of them are, uh, so what we've got is Bonders now in Ireland, an old thing that's come back into fashion. Mm. I mean, many people would know from many years ago, you'd see outside a, bo- a pub, it would say Whiskey Bonder. Yes. So what that was, it was whiskey that was distilled by Jemison or one of the, even in Drogheda, Preston's or one of them. It then would be sold in the barrel to a pub and they would hold it themselves uh, and then bottle it themselves and sell it with their name on the front of it. So they were called Whiskey Bonders. So that's re-emerging nowadays. Um, you also have some brands that are sourcing the whiskey uh, for now to sort of fill the gap until their own is fully matured and then they can sell their own. Or you have a, a third option, which is some of the brands are, so like Eckenville Distillery up in the, the Newton Arge Peninsula. They've got a distillery built. They have whiskey now that's, nearly eight years old at this stage, but they haven't yet released it because they want to sort of make sure that it's perfect, that it's the right time to release it. But in the interim, what they've done was they sourced whiskey and sold it under the Dunville's brand. So they've always maintained that the Dunville's brand was going to be their sourced whiskey brand, and then the Ecklenville estate would be their own whiskey as well. So it's a, it's an easy way for to fill in the gaps because, as you say, you distilleries have to wait you know, the three to five years and more before they can actually sell it. So it helps them build a brand awareness, a brand name, so that then when they do come to market with their own whiskey, they can fill in the gaps, you know. Oh, really interesting. 42, when you think of the uh, proliferation of distilleries, it's absolutely incredible. And as you said, more to come. Now, let's talk about valuable whiskies, where you and I have spoken in the past. Is there many whiskies out there in homes or places that you believe are sitting there and are worth a lot of money? Uh, every month we see it. Uh, literally every month. We had, uh, not that long ago, we had a bottle of Red Breast, which somebody had, it was from the 1930s, uh, discovered in the house, um, and it ended up selling for €26,000. Oh. Um, we had only, just we had an auction end last Sunday night, and there was a bottle of 1989 Middleton, very rare, sold for €19,000. So that was something that somebody could have bought or been gifted in 1989. In 1989, it would have cost about 35, 40 punt, and we sold it on Sunday night for just over 19,500 euro. What so, an investment! Yeah, that's the thing. And I mean, even now, we're starting to see it. Not starting to see it. We've been saying it all along and encouraging it all along. I mean, if you'd been investing in whiskey from back in the early 80s, uh, buying you know, a bottle to put away every year, then it's something now that you could literally liquidate and, and turn into real money and, and do something with. But even going forward for people, what they're doing is they're buying a bottle of whiskey every year for the children mm. as a, some sort of savings thing. Because mm. buy a bottle of whiskey this year, say a, a €200 Euro bottle of whiskey, which is a lot of money. But if you were to save €200 Euros in the bank come 20 years, it won't be worth that much more. Mm. Whereas potentially that could be worth, you know, in the thousands, that, that 200 euro bottle of whiskey. So it's a great way for people to sort of build money or savings without really having the money there. Worst case scenario, if it doesn't all pan out, you can always drink it.
<laughs> that was my next question. You've jumped the gun with me. I was just thinking about those couple of examples you mentioned there. Will they ever be drunk? Do you think any day, or will they be just held as uh, an increasing value investment? It's again. I suppose it's horses for courses, isn't it? Really. Mm. I mean, we we constantly have. So again, we we set the world record in March uh, this year. We sold a bottle of Middleton at forty eight thousand euro, and people go to me, "Who's buying that? I mean, will that ever be open? Will that always?" And you could say, "Well, to a multimillionaire, fifty thousand euro isn't a lot of money." Yeah. So if a multimillionaire buys that, he could be with his pals one evening in the house and he wants to show off or he wants to impress them or he's doing a business deal and he says, look, I really want to toast with something special. And he opens a 50,000 euro bottle of whiskey. So it's no different than guys going to restaurants these days and they're doing big multi-million pound deals and they have a bottle of Chateauneuf to something or other Mm. and and it cost them 10,000 euro. Whiskey's the same, and it exists in nearly the same frame as that. That it's to me or you, fifty thousand euro is you know a huge amount of money. It's yes. a, it's a it's a life savings, but to others, it's just you know what they'd spend in a day. <laughs> there are people weeping out there, listening to you at the minute, thinking, "Mother of God, why would you crack it open at all?" And it what? But you're right that it uh, horses, of course, is different circumstances, of course. The the whole area of uh, uh, aged whiskey or whiskey bottled, you, you mentioned the 80s there, even going back further in the decades and that. Do people just, in, something stirs them up maybe to come to you? Why do they, you know, decide to take a bottle to you and say, would you value this for us? It, usually word of mouth. Usually, and that's usually what happens. I mean, some of the, some of the oddities that we've found are people that... And the amount of people that wouldn't be aware of what they've got in the house. And again, I think me and you have spoke previously of uh, how many houses around the country had the good sitting room for when the priest are called yeah. or for when, you know, the, the, the family arrived. You had the good sitting room and there was the good bottle of drink in there to, to toast them when they came. A lot of them probably still still exist. So the, the good sitting room is still there and the bottle of whiskey is still in the same press. Or somebody would be gifted a bottle of whiskey and they'd say, oh, well, I'll keep that for a good occasion and I won't drink that. And they never find a good occasion and they, it, it just sits there. Or Then when it does come to a good occasion, they go, can't open that now because it's sat there for the last 10 years. It could be worth something. And then maybe anecdotally, they'll hear from somebody saying, did you see on the website? I mean, with social media... Mm. It's easy to try and get the word out there now about these bottles. And people say, did you see that bottle sold for that much? Have you got one of them? Or had, I remember growing up, you know, we had one of them at home in our sitting room or we had one of them in our... Ma'am, do you still have that yeah. bottle? And then it comes to us and, and, and that's what happens. And again, people just don't know what they've got half of the time. The other side of the coin is people come to us regularly with something that, and they say, well, I've had this in my house for 50 years and uh, it, it's got to be worth money. And it was. It says on the front of it that it was a 10-year-old whiskey then. So that makes it a 60-year-old whiskey. And we go, no, we have to explain the whole process of ageing whiskey, that it, it only ages until it's put in the bottle. And then yeah. after that, it's it's forever and a day a 10-year-old whiskey. Yeah. Um, and some of them just have no worth. I mean, not no worth, but small money, 50, 60 pound or 50, 60 euro. Yes. Some scotches that people would have been buying and stuff like that that is just wouldn't be a collector's item per se. I think I asked you this before. Maybe you can um, just bring us up to date. The most valuable you've passed through your hands. Oh, that recent one, that 48,000 euro. 48,000. Um, 48, I mean, in that same auction um, in March, just gone, we sold one at 46,000 euro and one at 48,000 euro. Uh, 48,000 euro stayed in Ireland, 46,000 euro went to America. Mm. Um, huge. I mean, again, it just shows the growth. I mean, we shipped to one of the months there, we shipped to 28 different countries worldwide. And that's only us. We're still only small and, and relatively insignificant compared to what the brands are doing. I mean, the brands are doing huge work to try and drum up Irish whiskey. And, and again, it's it's what people don't see is the knock-on effects of this. So Take, for example, GND, uh, Great Northern Distillery here in Dundalk, um, John Teeling's um, factory, essentially, that yes. produces whiskey. Um, he, he's gone now to, to you know nearly 24-7 distilling. He's building a, another 
uh, add-on next year or this year, another add-on next year and the following year he's going to be expanding. He's going to get to the stage where he has um, he's producing nearly 9,000 barrels of whiskey a week. So the, the knock-on of that is all the staff that's needed to run the, the, the distillery itself, the hauliers that are used to move the barrels around the country, mm. the bottling company, I mean, we up in just outside Dundalk in Hagerstown, we've had a bottling plant built recently, uh, the label companies, the couriers that's involved for delivering the bottles of whiskey, the shops that are... And the, the knock-on effect of this is what people don't see. Mm. Even us here in our small existence, we've six or seven staff here. So we're now have couriers coming to us every day. We've packaging that we're buying. We're buying our lunch locally. There's loads of add-on jobs. And this yes. is what I've been advocating from day one, is that the rising tide lifts all boats. So if Irish whiskey grows on the worldwide stage, then you know there's more brand ambassadors and there's more mm. you know people involved in, and there's more jobs created so it's it's a great industry to be involved i mean any young person these days to study distilling to get involved is a huge it's a it's a old what we'd say of a, of a lifelong job isn't it really? yes it certainly is just in a word before you leave us if you were thinking of buying a whiskey or a brand of whiskey or something today people listening they have a few bob and they might want to put it into something what would you recommend it uh, depends on the level, but I mean, again, every year there's there's an annual release every year. So like Writer's Tears bring out one called a cask strength release. So they do a release every year. Um, it's it's like for 2020, there was only 1,500 bottles of it. It was only, I think, 110 or 115 euro to buy. Uh, you'd have the variable uh, uh, Middleton Very Rare, which everybody knows you've seen in in your local supermarkets, Duns and Tesco's, they're getting harder and harder to find. They're 200 euros. So they're an annual release. Um, a lot of the, the, the brands, I say, do single cask, what's called single cask. So it's a single barrel, bottled only. So there's only a limited number of bottles out of it. It's a limited edition, maybe only 300 bottles. And it will be a numbered release. So it'll be only, say, one of 300 or, or 10 of 300 or whatever the case may be. Mm. They're always good to buy because they're the ones that, as I say, will become rarer as people drink them. Inevitably, there's less of them in the world and there's less of them in the world. The value goes up. And that's just the simple law of economics. Plenty. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. To ponder their investments galore. You're a good guy, you really are. Thank you so much for joining me again. Irishwhiskeyauctions.com. Check them out. Nice to talk just, to you, Anthony. Sorry, sorry just yeah. one thing. We just to, to, to we me and you'd mentioned it before, we do our charity bottles oh, yes. every month. Yes. And only just month just gone we done a fundraising for the Boyne Fisherman's Rescue. Yeah. So there was two bottles that was in last month's auction. I think they're just shy of a thousand euro. I think in and around went for that. There was another bottle uh 
got over €8,000 and that's going to Birdwatch Ireland. So we do them charities. So if anybody's looking to raise money for... Uh, it's a different way of raising yes. money for a charity. It's a good way of doing it. As it well. certainly is. And uh, thank you for reminding me of that. And well done to your two excellent charities there and more besides you've been helping. IrishWhiskeyAuctions.com Until the next time, Anthony, thanks a million. Jerry, thanks for your time. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Anthony Sheehy there from Irish Whiskey Auctions. It's uh, most alarming, says Michael, that insurance companies can access your private driving information. Um, they can, and uh, Kiva was talking about it was there, top of the show. Uh, but uh, yes, they do have access. Now, time for your comedy on Friday on Late Lunch. And I- I'd like to be topical with the comedy, and this certainly is, given the shenanigans in number 10 Downing Street etc this last number of days incredible yes minister do you remember it Jim Hacker Bernard Woolley and Humphrey aka Paul Eddington Derek Folds and Nigel Hawthorne yes have a listen to this and you know it's a few years ago but it's still quite apt today yes minister the writing's on the wall well, in any event, we'll have to think of something to make the public think kindly towards administration because of the Europass. Mm, quite. Europass? Europass. European identity card. What? Bernard, surely you've informed the minister... Uh, minister, didn't you do your boxes last night? No, I was redrafting the redraft of the draft. <laughs> well, briefly, minister, Brussels is about to decree that there should be a new European identity card to be carried by all citizens of the EEC. Good. Now, the Foreign Office is quite ready to go along with it as a quid pro quo, uh, for a deal over the butter mountain, the wine lake, and the milk ocean. <laughs> the lamb war and the cod stick. <laughs> and quite obviously, the Prime Minister wants you to introduce the legislation. Me? Yes, well, it's well known that you're pro-Europe, you see. And it would simplify our administration enormously in the long run, so it's a good idea, don't good you think? Idea. Good idea? Good idea! Not a good idea? Political suicide? Trying to make British people carry compulsory identification papers? They'll say I'm introducing a police state again. Is this what we fought two world wars for, Humphrey? Well, Minister, it's really little more than a sort of driving licence. It's the last nail in my coffin, that's what it is. Uh, you might get away with calling it Euro Club Express. <laughs> Why do we have to introduce it? Can't the Foreign Office do it? Well, in fact, that was the Prime Minister's original suggestion, but the Foreign Secretary thought that this was a Home Office matter, and the Home Office took the view that it was essentially an administrative matter, and the Prime Minister agreed. They're all playing past the parcel. Can you blame them, when you can hear it ticking? <laughs> well, I'm afraid that the identity card bill is planned to be the last action of this department. Wonderful ammunition for the anti-Europeans. Yes, don't the Foreign Office realise what damage this will do to the European idea? Well, I'm sure they do. That's why they support it. Well, surely the Foreign Office is pro-Europe, isn't it? Yes and no. <laughs> if you'll forgive the expression. The Foreign Office is pro-Europe because it is really anti-Europe. The civil service was united in its desire to make sure that the common market didn't work. That's why we went into it. What are you talking about? <laughs> Minister, Britain has had the same foreign policy objective for at least the last 500 years to create a disunited Europe. In that cause... We have fought with the Dutch against the Spanish, with the Germans against the French, with the French and Italians against the Germans, and with the French against the Germans and Italians. Divide and rule, you see. Why should we change now, when it's worked so well? <laughs> Ancient history, surely. Yes, and current policy. We had to break the whole thing up, so we had to get inside. We tried to break it up from the outside, but that wouldn't work. Now that we're inside, we can make a complete pig's breakfast of the whole thing. <laughs> Set the Germans against the French, the French against the Italians, the Italians against the Dutch. The Foreign Office is terribly pleased. It's just like old times. <laughs> Surely we're all committed to the European ideal. Really, Minister? <laughs> if not, why are we pressing for an increase in the membership? Well, for the same reason. It's just like the United Nations, in fact. The more members it has, the more arguments it can stir up, the more futile and impotent it becomes. What appalling cynicism. Yes. We call it diplomacy, Minister. <laughs> oh, simply brilliant. Yes, Minister. Our comedy on Friday, this Friday, and some of it still 
so true all these years later thank you Jacinta sent me a lovely picture of a bottle of Chiaconnell whiskey uh, Jerry my son won this uh, for a hole in one in golf in 2002 and we still haven't opened it hold on to it Jacinta it could be worth a lot of money if you're listening to Anthony Sheehy there yes there's money in that gold liquid for sure coming up after the next break on the show Chef Tara Walker brings us a new series on summer salads and they are gorgeous I can tell you but taking us towards Tara on late lunch this Friday afternoon ah it brings me back to the city that never sleeps hope to get back sometime it's Alicia Keys and Empire State of Mind New York City one of the greatest cities in the world As a place of movie scenes Noise is always loud There are sirens all around And the streets are me. Delighted to be back with Chef Tara Walker And we're here for a brand new series of Summer Salads Tara Salads, historically, and I don't have to remind you in Ireland, were a thing that people shuddered when they heard salad. But by God, we've come a long way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw recently a photo went viral of its summer in Ireland. And it was a picture of a couple of slices of ham, boiled eggs, some slices of tomato and some butterhead lettuce, no dressing or anything. You know, to be fair, if all of those ingredients are tasty and good versions of themselves, it's gorgeous. And I can remember back in the day, you know, my late great aunt and uncle, they were great vegetable growers and that's what they'd have for their tea. And it would be delicious because it would be fresh. But we've come a long way in terms of all the inspiration from all the different parts of the world that can bring beautiful dressings and ingredients together in a really light and fresh way. So with this little series now of our summer salads, we're taking inspiration from India, from Thailand, from Spain. So we're going to have lots of gorgeous flavours in our salads this time. And we're starting the series with an international dish, curried chicken rice salad. Yes. So this is a gorgeous, tasty salad. I think especially in summer when you're having lots of barbecues and things, everything's quite grilled. And, you know, it's that where I think a bit of curry flavour is lovely just to uplift um, the palate again. So I have some chicken here that's been marinating overnight. So this is chicken breast fillet, just cut into bite-sized pieces. And I've marinated with turmeric, um, smoked paprika, cumin, and a little bit of garlic and ginger, and then just some yogurt to bring it all together. So you can smell that. It's a really lovely kind of curried flavour, but it's not like a super spicy one. It's a very mild uh, one. So over here, I have a griddle pan heating up. You could use your barbecue either. And I'm just going to thread these chicken pieces onto a skewer. I mean, you can do them directly if you want, but I think it's quite nice to have them on the skewer because especially this metal skewer that I'm using actually conducts the heat from the centre out as well. So it means that you're just a little bit more guaranteed that your chicken is definitely cooked at the centre. It's beautiful and actually it's so enticing and you're right, it's not overpowering. It has a lovely subtle curry aroma, hasn't it? It really does. And if you think some people love coronation chicken, uh, my husband's from the UK, it's a, a big thing over there, picnics. So it's almost like a version of that, although coronation chicken is usually done with mayonnaise, whereas this one is with yogurt. So I've just popped my chicken onto the skewer there and I have my griddle pan good and hot. We turned it on there at the beginning and I have it oiled with rapeseed oil so that it doesn't stick and let's get it down and we want to hear a good sizzle and we'll leave it alone for a couple of minutes because we want to get that caramelisation and searing going on. Oh, I could see this pan just slightly smoking there and you need it at that high temperature just to hit the pan and seal it. It really has to be very high, otherwise your chicken's just going to stick and then also you're going to end up, you know, where all the moisture, the water from the chicken is going to just fall out and you'll end up with a dry chicken. So I'm going to just make sure that that is left alone for a couple of minutes before I even attempt to turn it. Lovely. So how long are you going to give those there? You're going to leave them on each side for how long? For two or three minutes on each side at the beginning and then we'll see how they are. They're cut quite small as you can see there and with the metal skewer in the centre. So we'll start with two or three minutes on each side. So we've actually got nearly four sides there so we'll be rolling it over. I understand, yes. You have to do that to make sure that it's cooked thoroughly right through. Oh my God, if you're only here with me and <laughs> could get the lovely aroma emanating from that hot pan there. It's simply beautiful. So this is the centrepiece of this salad. Exactly. And then we're going to move on to the rice now. 
and I have some gorgeous pilau rice here. This is a curried rice as well. So just to give everybody a little tip there, if anyone follows me on Instagram at Tara Walker Chef, I've been popping lots of quick little video reels up. And this is genuinely leftover butter chicken. So I did a butter chicken curry last night with this beautiful pilau rice. So I'm using the leftovers now and anyone can look at that recipe. It's a beautiful recipe. Great one if you're having people over for a party or whatever because you can make lots of it in one big batch. And again, it's lovely golden colour, the pilau rice there. It's a beautiful uh, richness to it. Absolutely. And it tastes, it has a gorgeous seasoning. So basically what I did was I started by melting some butter in a pan, getting it nice and hot. Then I toasted my rice in the pan. And then I added my spices, my cumin, turmeric and onion, salt, garlic powder in. And I gave them a good toast for a couple of minutes. And then I just topped up with water. I let the water bubble away and then I popped a lid on and I let it steam for another 10 minutes. So there we are. Chicken on the griddle. Rice ready in the bowl here. So we're well on the way with our curry chicken rice salad. So you've turned them once there, the chicken on the griddle. Yeah, so the first skewer I've just turned and the second one, you see the way the second one's not quite ready to turn yet. So you always know it's ready to turn when it just turns easily, you know. So if it's sticking a little bit, just leave it another minute. But look at that gorgeous char. It looks almost like a barbecue char there because of the griddle pan. Really you're talking about four turns on that and giving each one of them, what, two to three minutes? Exactly, exactly. The last couple of turns, you might not need to give them quite so long. So I'm going to carry on with the salad here. I have some lovely big slices of cucumber, which I have just peeled and sliced down. And I have some cherry tomatoes and some lovely spring onions. And I'm mixing this through into the pilau rice because I want to give a nice little bit of freshness and crunch to the salad. Next up, I have a little bit of sherry vinegar. Now, you can use red wine vinegar as well. I just happen to have sherry vinegar myself here. And then some good quality extra virgin olive oil. So later on um, in the series, I'll be using a kind of bog standard olive oil where I just wanted to bind. But for this one, I want to get a lovely flavour. So this is a really nice Italian extra virgin olive oil. And we're just going to toss that all around. And just make sure it's really well combined. And with always with salads, make sure you taste them. I know I'm always saying taste everything anyway, but it's good to just check them because they can be a little bit on the bland side and they definitely need to be seasoned well and dressed well. Oh yeah, that dressing is uh, lovely there and it's bringing a nice shine to everything. Absolutely, it's very, very simple. But later on in the series, we will be doing kind of more complicated dressings. But because I've already got great flavour in this rice because of the fact that I cooked it with all the spices and I toasted it first, it has great flavour anyway. So let me have a little taste. Mmm. So that's why you should taste it. It definitely needs a bit more olive oil. And good quality olive oil, you can't beat it. Absolutely. And like, look, sometimes it's too overpowering things. Like I don't love it in a pesto, say, for example. But in something like this, it's fabulous. And then a nice pinch of just a really good quality sea salt. I have Ackle Island sea salt here. And just toss it through. And then I'm going to just go back to the chicken now. And the first piece is almost ready the second piece just needs another couple of minutes and it almost has that tandoori chicken look about it even though the flavor is more mild than your typical tandoori chicken would be so all we're waiting for now is the chicken to be ready everything else is in place and then taste exactly (laughs) it's so simple i love summertime i really do and the simplicity of salads but we have to say tara they can be as simple or as complicated as you make them absolutely i mean look at I think it's all about the seasoning. Going back to what we said at the start of that whole thing of just some slices of dried tomato and ham and lettuce. You know, I know they can be lovely when the ingredients are individually of great quality, but a nice dressing that's seasoned well just elevates the whole thing. So the chicken, you've just taken it from the hot plate there on the skewer and cooked perfectly. It's cooked perfectly. So I turned off the heat on my griddle pan there for a couple of minutes just to let it rest a little bit and just, you know, make sure that that skewer has conducted the heat through. And then you can see the chicken's just falling off the skewer there. So we know it's ready. So it's time to taste, Jerry. Time to taste my first salad. So all I need is a little fork, please. And let's go with this and see what it's like. Piece of chicken, salad, some rice as well. Mmm, Tara. It's just a marvellous combination. It is so flavoursome. The lingering taste there, the combination of the rice, the chicken and the dressing on the salad. It's A1. Isn't it lovely and fresh and light, you know? Mm. And if you didn't want to do the chicken that way, you know, if you just wanted to do the salad as a side... 
if you're doing a barbecue or something like that perfectly lovely as well just on its own but the chicken complements it really nicely and if you go to my instagram and you want to make the butter chicken with the pilau rice you can then marinate another little batch of chicken while you're doing it just make a little bit extra while you're making the curry so you can have curry as one dish and then you can have this as the next dish and then just a little note and i know i always say it when we have rice on the show jerry make sure your rice is cooled quickly and keep it cold or reheat it very, very thoroughly. Obviously, we're making salad today, so we're not reheating it. But as soon as I took the portion out that I wanted last night, I popped the rest in the fridge so that it's not hanging around um, at room temperature for too long. Anyway, we're off to a cracker with our first summer salad, summer 22. Absolutely. So what I will do is I will upload the recipe, a little quick video of it onto my Instagram, which is Tara Walker Chef. And you can follow me there. And if you save it there, you can come back to it any time then. Tara, we're on the way. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Great to see you, Jerry. Enjoy. Oh, Love Island. Yes, it's the first time I've ever watched it. And I'm getting stick for this. But you know something? It really does take you in as you start. But last night, oh, I put, I had my hands. I was looking out through my fingers last night, to be honest with you. Because they did a recoupling last night. So what happened was the six boys and six girls split up. They were in partnerships they split up and they brought in six different boys six different girls and they came back together last night most of them actually recoupled they they went with new partners uh, but Paige and Ek and Sue two of the girls went back to the boys they were with originally Jacques and Davide but I couldn't believe what happened then the women they were with the two boys pointed the finger at them and said well they got a bit romantic with us and it's all kicked off now. Oh my word, has it kicked off. Couldn't miss it tonight. I just couldn't. I really couldn't. Anyway, Love Island. <laughs> First time ever watching it. And it's uh, sort of got in on me to keep watching it. And um, we'll keep an eye on it over the next few weeks as it moves on. And when Love Island was over last night, what did I do? I went out to my back garden and it was the loveliest evening. The most beautiful summer evening. The nicest that's come so far. Lovely sunset, warm, and yes, they were there. I was delighted to see them. What am I talking about? My friends, the bats, the little bats, were whirring away through the air in my back garden and the neighbours' gardens, and it was just lovely to see them. You see them at this time of the year with the lovely, warm, calm evenings, and that was the best that came, and there they were. And you know something? It did me heart good, it really did, to see my little bat friends out and about yesterday evening. Do I love my wildlife? Do I love nature? I certainly do. Let's have another listen to our TV theme this Friday afternoon. Oh yeah, I absolutely love it. I got a blast of answers in, I have to say. It's not Hawaii 5.0, it's not Pink Panther, it's not The Saint, not The Avengers, not The Man From Uncle. All those answers came in today. It's actually Mission Impossible. It is indeed. And Bernie Legan, well done to you. You got it right. And the prize is yours. And thanks to everybody who sent us in an answer to late lunch this afternoon. Now, my artist of the week this week, we bring the curtain down on her week. It is, of course, Miss Kate Bush. She, did you know she's married to guitarist Danny McIntosh and they have one son. His name is Bertie. She's a Londoner, a committed vegetarian. And she's also been known to speak out on a range of issues, social and humanitarian. But as I told you yesterday, she's not politically inclined at all. She only ever did one tour in her career. Yes, just one tour in Britain and Europe way back in 1979. And performance-wise, very little during the 80s, 90s and noughties. Before, out of the blue in 2014, she did 22 nights at the Hammersmith Apollo in London and the tickets were like chicken's teeth to be honest with you completely sold out she could have done more if she had wanted to and well the reason she's come to mind for my artist of the week in May of this year her 1985 song Running Up That Hill 
was featured in the fourth series of Stranger Things. And yes, it reached and has reached number one in the UK charts on June 11th this year, where it remained for three weeks, surpassing its achievements back in 85. And it's Kate Bush's first number one since Wuthering Heights in 78. Here it is. Kate Bush, my artist of the week, and running up that hill, a recent number one, top of the charts all these years later. And I will have another artist of the week for you next week on Late Lunch. Let's talk sport and late lunch with Sunday Sport presenter David Sheehan. Hi, David. How are you doing, Jerry? Very good. You're on the windmill road tonight, the uh, third uh, loud derby of the season in the league itself. One win apiece so far. Draw it against Dundalk. Away win banker. Absolutely not, Jerry. Come on now. I think you're just you're just playing silly beggars there with the with the Dundalk fans. I think you know uh, Draw had a lost three nil last week against St Pat's. Dundalk won three nil against UCD. But that that Draw had a match. Three nil was a bit of a flattering scoreline for for Pat's. I thought they were one nil up at half time. St Pat's and Draw had a really dominated the second half in terms of possession, but just couldn't get that equaliser and got caught late on uh, with two late goals in the break. So I think they're in decent enough form. They, they, um, you know, it's only one defeat in their last six. Drogheda, Dundalk, though, for their part, unbeaten in the last ten games. They've been in really good form. They've won four of the last five. So I think. I wouldn't say a banker. I do think Dundalk would maybe just nick this one one nil, something like that. But uh, I think it's going to be a tight game, as the game was at Heading the Game Park earlier in the season as well, which was a one nil win for Drogheda with a contentious enough penalty. The game at Oriel, as we know, was a comfortable enough win for the Dock. But I think tonight's going to be fairly tight. I think Dundalk might just sneak it, but I don't think there's going to be much in it. But you have two clubs with contrasting ambitions. Dundalk, you know, going for the title, looking to get back into European football next season. Draw to just content to be part of the bottom three and win that league. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose that's one way of looking at it. I mean, Dundalk will be definitely looking to cut the gap on, on uh, Shamrock Rovers. They've got two games in hand, so if they win tonight, they'll cut it back to, what, seven points. Drogheda are ten points clear for Harps, who play Shelburne tonight. So if Drogheda were to win tonight, um, they'd go level with Shelburne as things stand at the minute. That would mean, obviously, Shelburne losing tonight as well. But I think Drogheda ten points clear of Finn Harps. They'd be happy enough with that at the moment. Um, how the rest of the season goes, I suppose, remains to be seen. Kevin said he was going to bring in a few new players as well. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, I mean, as you said, there are two clubs with definitely different ambitions. Um, it'll be interesting to see, I suppose, in in the next you know two to three years whether Drogheda can kind of get get out of that kind of just consolidation mode that they're in at the moment and push on. But of course, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? So I guess mm. we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Time will tell for sure. Now, uh, tomorrow evening, uh, Mead ladies are out against Galway. You will be there in O'Connor yeah. Park. It's the All-Ireland quarter-final. You'd have to say about Mead this year, watching them, that they really haven't hit their stride. No, they haven't. I mean, it's it's so hard to follow up on, on what they did last year uh, with, with that win against Dublin in the All-Ireland Final and all of the the celebrations and the you know the rejoicing that went on uh, around the county after that win it must have been very hard for the players i know they were very keen to to draw a line under it when the new season started and of course you know they they won the national league as well so they they did have a decent uh, league campaign but I think uh, they haven't quite been themselves, as you said there, Jerry. We've been, we know a couple of the players are going away to Australia. I kind of wonder whether that might upset the, the dressing room a little bit as well. Um, I, I suspect it wouldn't unduly, but it wouldn't help either. You know, Vicky Wall and Orla Lally, as we know, are, are both going when the season's over. So, yeah, they haven't quite hit their, scra- their straps this season compared to last year. But I think, Jerry, you know, the, the prospect of being three games away from, three wins away from another All-Ireland uh, would certainly... Uh, focus the mind. So I, I would expect them. They didn't they didn't play the, the, the best game in the world against Armada last day, but they got the result. They dug it out because they looked like they were in trouble for a while in that one. But they got the draw out of it in the end. Galway tomorrow, their favourites, heavy favourites to win that game. And I think, as I said, the prospect of just being a couple of good performances away from an All-Ireland final and three wins away from back-to-back All-Irelands, like, if that doesn't focus the mind, then nothing will. So I'm expecting a much improved performance from me tomorrow and I'm, I'm backing them to win. And just to mention, the Camogie team are out as well tomorrow. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're in uh, an all-around quarterfinal as well. That that game is going to be live on LMFM too. So yeah, they had a, they had a great win uh, a week or so ago, and they're pushing on nicely. So I know they've had a couple of near misses, gotten to semi-finals and been beaten. I was at one a couple of years ago against Kilkenny when they lost down there, and they weren't happy with the fact they had to play it in Nolan Park. So yeah, look, they're in Port Leash tomorrow, as I said, live on LMFM, and it'd be absolutely fantastic for the two the two teams to advance to the semi-finals. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Absolutely. Now, in terms of. Uh the Senior Men's Championship at semi-final stage this weekend. Galway Derry on Saturday, Dublin Kerry on Sunday. How do you see both of those turning out? Oh, that's the million-dollar question. Um, it's really hard to say. For Derry and Galway, Derry have just looked so strong this season. They're, they're so well-conditioned. They, they defend in numbers, but they attack in huge numbers as well. Uh, Galway, as we know, came through the last day against Armagh in a very tough battle. Derry had a fairly comfortable win over Clare uh, in their game. And, of course, Clare beat Meade, so it makes you wonder where exactly Meade are at. But in terms of the games this weekend, I I think tomorrow is going to be really, really close. I think Galway will just about do it. I've been kind of wavering all week as to who I think is going to win that one. I think Galway will just about squeak through by a point or two in that one. But it's it's really the toss of a coin. And then on Sunday, sort of a, a lot of... Um, variables around this game we don't know whether Conor Callaghan's going to play we don't know whether David Clifford is going to is going to play we suspect he will but whether he's 100% fit remains to be seen so they're the two marquee forwards in that game on Sunday and whether what you know the, the fitness of, of each of them is going to have a massive say in how their team does uh, I have a feeling Dublin are, are going to win though I think they just have looked really impressive this season I know people might say they haven't really been tested yet but uh, I think they're looking really, really dominant again. And even if they are missing Conor Callaghan, I, I think he'd be obviously a huge loss. But I, I think that they'll just about uh, squeak through. I don't know if Kerry, I don't think they've been tested enough yet either. And I have a feeling that they might just come up a bit short against Dublin on Sunday. But I can't wait for the two games. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see, see how it goes and who comes out of them. Because regardless of the Dublin-Kerry result, I mean, those two teams are well used to getting to All-Ireland Finals, but Derry or Galway in an All-Ireland Final be a real novelty factor as well. Mm. Uh, and consider, considering where Derry have come from, I mean, they were in Division 4 not that long ago, so um, that'd be a real Cinderella story. But I, I'm going to go for Galway and Dublin in the final. There you go. And Kerry, as you say, they would certainly have to play better than they did in the quarter-final. Now, Wimbledon coming to a conclusion this weekend with the ladies' final tomorrow, the men's on Sunday. What do you make of the ladies? Ange Jabeur? She could become the first African player to win uh, at mm. Wimbledon, win a Grand Slam. She's the third seed up against this uh, young lady who I watched yesterday and she surprised me, Elena Rybikina. Uh, mm. uh, she's 17th uh, seed in the competition. What do you think? Yeah, well, I actually, to be honest, I haven't really seen a huge amount, but I saw a bit of those games yesterday. But um, yeah, Ange Burr, as you said there, the first African woman in the open era to, to reach the final third seed. And uh, Ribikin is 17C, the youngest finalist since uh, Garbine Muguruza in 2015. She was 21 in 2015 and uh, Ribikina is, is 23 at the moment. I suppose, you know, Jabir is obviously the favourite. She's a third seed um, and she played really well in her semi-final. But, you know, Ribikina is upsetting Simona Halep in her game, so uh, in her semi-final. So I, I think it's going to be pretty close. I suspect it will go all the way, but I think Shabur will just come through um, with a little bit of spare on that one, I would say, uh, given, again, I'm, not, I'm far from a tennis expert, from a little <laughs> bit I've seen of it, and even just looking at the seedings, you'd, you'd give Shabur the nod yes. there, but it's going to be a really interesting final, I'm looking forward to it. It is, uh, the Ribikina has some serve, that's the one thing that she has, she's powerful serve, but anyway, let's see how that one turns out. Then Sunday, Nadal having to pull out, let's uh, Nick Kyrgios into the final, uh, he got a walkover, Djokovic plays Cameron Norrie uh, this afternoon, from the, the UK you'd have to say it'll be a Djokovic Kyrgios final won't it yeah Djokovic absolutely red hot favourite to go through in that one and uh, I was just keeping an eye on it there it was due to start around half two but the um, the wheelchair semi-final has gone, to, has gone to a third set so that's still going on so those two guys will be out on court a little later on yeah you know Kyrgios Djokovic final let's assume that's what happens it's going to be very interesting if anybody's seen any of Nick Kyrgios oh, in this brilliant. competition particularly, brilliant. particularly last Saturday yeah. against Tissi Pass when the two of them well Tissi Pass in particular just had a bit of a meltdown so he certainly knows how to get under people's skins and we know Novak Djokovic is a, let's say temperamental character at times himself so we could expect some fireworks in that final and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, the Goran Ivanisevic year when he came through and won it. I think he was actually a wild card that year. He won yes. it in the early 2000s. I haven't had a few near misses himself and a few heartbreakers. So that was that that championship was all about Ivanisevic. And this one, it just feels like it's all about Nick Kyrgios. Mm. And if he, if, if, if it's Djokovic that does come through, A, I can see it being an absolutely cracking final, full of drama, full of incident. And 
I just think it could be Kyrgios's year. We know yes. it's just one of those. You know, Jerry, you just get something like that in sport yeah. sometimes when it when it just goes for somebody. So yeah, um, and I think it'd be nice to see somebody new winning yes. and, and breaking that kind of stranglehold that those players have. You know, for sure, Kyrgios for me too. Anyway, watch this space, David. Until next Friday. Thanks so much. Just very quickly before I go, Jerry, I just want to say a very quick uh, happy birthday and happy anniversary to happy birthday to my dad and happy anniversary to my parents for yesterday. So uh, I just want to get that out there before I go. I join in those well wishes as well. Thanks, David. Great to talk Thanks, to you. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. 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 David, uh, of course, at United Park this evening for that big League of Ireland game. Do join him online on lmfm.ie. That's our lot for the week. Thank you to our guests who joined us through the week, to you, our listeners, who've been with us every day, and especially to Brian Farley. Thanks a million, Brian, who's been looking after me right through the week. Eddie Caffrey's coming next here on LMFM Radio. Stay with us, and we'll be back, please God, on Monday afternoon, 1.30, with a brand new week of late lunch. Have yourselves a lovely weekend. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Opal, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Discover the all-new Opal Mocha, featuring Opal's iconic new signature visor, stunning Opal Pure Panel and a choice of petrol, diesel or fully electric. The new Opal Mocha is less normal, more Mocha. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.